So Joel, I just have to say, are we are we sexist? Because that was our first female guest. I know. I was thinking that. Welcome to Conversation on Tap, a new podcast that seeks to promote intelligent dialogue in an age of echo chambers and self-segregation. Pull up a stool, pour a glass of tasty beer, and join us each week as we talk about all the topics that you were told not to discuss in polite company. My name is Jose. And I'm Joel. And this week, we will be joined by Hazel Davalos, who is the Community Organizing Director at the Central Coast Alliance United for a Sustainable Economy, also known as CAUSE. So we'll talk to her for about half an hour or so. Um, You'll notice that in the background, um, her daughter's kind of running around, her cute little baby running around. Um, So adorable. Exciting to talk to somebody who is so um, in tune with our community. Definitely. But before we um, move on to that, Joel, what do we have on tap this week? All right. We've got a couple things. We're going to start with Stockyard Oatmeal Stout. Mm. Stockyard out of San Jose. Oh, it's a Joseph's Brow Brewing Company out of San Jose. Pretty good. Very sweet. Oh. It says a deliciously creamy stout in the Irish tradition mm. with its rich tan beep intact. <laughs> this deep... Uh, and a dark-colored beer has the aroma and flavor of chocolate, roasted oats, and coffee. Mm, very good. Pairs well with um, Lucky Charms. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's and, really good. Um, anything with brown sugar. Brownies. Mm-hmm. Brown sugar. It's really yeah, good. Cheers. Cheers. It's really good. Very good. Yeah. And you know what? We're going to... Let's go to, since it's so much like this, our second bottle of Mississippi Mud, which we had like a month ago. Oh, yeah. We bought two bottles, and we haven't finished the second one because we don't drink a lot. So. <laughs> we just really drink for the show. Huh? Yeah, I know. That's all. <laughs> I mean, I don't have beers except for the show, I swear. Do you? I will drink every now and then, like, I mean, yeah, but I'm I playing go, video games or yeah, something. But. Yeah. When I go out to dinner, I have one, and then, I don't know. I'll have one before I go to work. <laughs> well, I have one on especially bad days, you know, at break time. But. In the staff lounge, yeah. I have a cigarette and a yeah. whiskey. Just kidding. Not serious. Okay. But what's the other one? Oh, yeah, the Mississippi Mud, which we had and then, you know what? in a previous episode. Maybe we'll get to this Fig Mountain Danish Red. That's super good. Oh. So we're not having any um, lagers today, unless this is. Yeah, it is a lager. Danish, the Danish Red is. Ooh. Now for the segment of our show that we call Fred Talks. In this segment of our show, Jose and I will each share one thing that we are passionate about for two minutes, although we tend to be a bit loquacious, so that will not be a strict time limit. I don't think we've ever um, adhered to that. No. This week, I'm going to discuss, well, I'm going to ask you a question now, as I often do, <laughs> because I'm always amazed that you actually know the answer to this. I don't know if you've seen these notes. I have I'll not. Turn them I have not, no. All right. Jose, what? I'm a California file. I think you probably are, too. I love, you love our state. I love our state. I am so, so happy to live here. If you don't love it, a, leave it. I'm a bit smug about it, I must say. Yeah. I think that, that we're, like, more um, enlightened politically because we have a beautiful area to live in. I really believe that. We have all the climate or yeah. temperate regions in our state. Yeah. It's in, 
Yeah, it's amazing. We have amazing people here. So, what is our state tree? State tree? Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. Is it the redwood? Okay. I don't think he's seen my picture and he's known, he knows that. But that's a that's a pretty good uh, pick, but it's not true. Oh, what is it? No, it is. I'm joking. Oh, it is the redwood. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, ah, oh, I got yes. one wrong. <laughs> I once told my aunt, who teaches fourth grade um, California history, that it was the California Valley Oak. I don't know where I got that, but of course it's the redwood, which I think is so cool because California, it, you can describe with so many superlatives. And the thing about uh, the redwood trees is they, they are so superlative. The um, giant red, well, here's the thing about our state tree. We actually have two state trees. Do you know the two redwoods that are in California? Uh, there's a General Sherman, right? Right. So that's called the giant sequoia. That's, oh, yeah, yeah. And then there's the coastal redwood. Okay. Sempervirens. And um, they are both our, even though they're different species, they come from the same genus, and, and they're both our state tree. And I just thought that there's so many super cool little tidbits about them. Tallest tree in the world, that's the coastal redwood. Only 5% of old growth remain, which is so incredible because he lived to be over 2,000 in coastal wow. redwood trees or 3,500 years if you talk about the uh, giant sequoias. I don't know how people, mm-hmm. and they knew back then that these things were incredibly old, how you could see this thing and cut it down. Because yeah. they would lose half the timber when they cut them down because they would shatter. It's real soft wood, but the wood is so perfect, of course, because termites hate them. That's yeah. why they, they last so long. Bugs hate them. They have tons of tannin in there, and they're totally fire-resistant. They have, like, in the case of coastal redwoods, they have, like, a, a foot of bark on them, and the, sometimes it's three feet of bark on the giant redwoods. They wow. used to think that the this other type of redwood was not in existence. It was uh, called the dawn redwood, and then they found this stand of dawn redwood trees in China, in what? the middle of China. Yes. That's so a random. Cool thing, too. So there is a third type of redwood. And it's in China. So I didn't that's another that. super cool thing about redwoods, yeah. Wow. So I just have to read. Um, and you know what? One thing about living on the Central Coast, the Chumash may have created the most technological tool of all the natives in the New World. Some people say this. Other people say no, which okay. is called the Tomo. It's a, it's their canoe, uh, canoe. Oh, I've made those, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're beautiful and they're incredible. And, and those were almost always made out of redwood logs that would float down the coast to, mm-hmm. the, to the Chumash. But anyway... Um, yeah, growing up, we belonged to the local Chumash group. Right on. And they would bring in these huge logs, and all of us would come around, we'd carve it, and they'd show us. Away. Yeah, it was right here in Santa Maria. Right on. They're beautiful. Mm-hmm. And yeah. super, super highly technological. They would use the, the, the tar, of course, from our seeps in near, near Santa Barbara to, to make them waterproof. Yeah. The etymology. You would think mm. that it would come from Sequoia, the great Native American uh, chief, who I think he came up with the alphabet for the Iroquois tribe or the Cherokee tribe, I can't remember. But it's they, they actually did an etymological study, and they found out that it comes from the Latin word uh, sequum, I think is the word, hmm. which means next, because of the seeds. Um, I guess that they, there's some connection to seeds. So that totally tripped me out, because I always assumed that it was named after the great Native American chief. One thing before we go on to your Fred talk. Uh-huh. Any fool, John Muir said, can destroy trees. They cannot run away, and if they could, they would still be destroyed, chased down, and hunted as long as fun or a dollar could be got out of their bark hides, branching horns, or a magnificent 
full backbones through all the wonderful eventful centuries since Christ's times. It's amazing to think Isn't that they amazing? were around during Christ's time. As, and long before that, God has cared for these trees, saved them from drought, disease, avalanches, and a thousand straining, leveling tempests and floods, but he cannot save them from fools. Yeah. So that's the great John Muir. So if any of you guys have not been had the great fortune to walk through a grove of, of thousands of year old um, redwood trees, it's got to be on your bucket list. It's amazing. Oh, I've been, and you know mm. we we'll, we've been before. We brought like a group of people. Mm. And we all put our arms around oh. this huge tree. It was massive. Tree hugging at a tree. Best. And then there was another tree I went with my dad. I think it was like the Avenue of the Redwoods or something. Oh, so beautiful up there. And there was one where you could actually drive through a redwood. Yeah, yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. But um, so to fact check, you said the guy Sequoia, um, not named the tree is not named for him, as you mentioned. But he's the one who did did the Cherokee alphabet. Oh, okay, Cherokee alphabet. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Great man. Definitely. I remember reading about him in elementary school. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay. All right, what do you got for us this week? I, oh, is it uh, um, section number two? Yes. Or episode two of the Pope Talk? Yeah. Right on. Before we move on, though, Joel is pouring some delicious Mississippi mud. It pours so smoothly. Black and tan. This is Black and kind tan. of, well, it's a mixture of ales and lagers. Look at that. It's beautiful. Oh, shoot. Oh, no. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's funny. That's okay. Yeah. It's like in the, in the commercials where the head overflows. Yeah, it's beautiful. That's good. All right, what do we got? So, can we really quick? I, I'm yeah. so old. No, go for it. What did we talk about last time? Okay, the name of. I remember that uh, Pope comes from Papa. Yeah, which means um, father. He was the father of the church, mm-hmm. stemming from Peter. Right. And then. Also mentioned that Pope Francis is the 266th Pope. Right on. Amazing. 266. The Catholic Church is the world's oldest institution. So this week for part two, I wanted to mention one thing. There's this um, trend in some evangelical circles to downplay in Matthew 16, 18, the connection between Peter and the rock. So to read that verse again, Matthew 16, 18, Christ says, You are Peter. And upon the, this rock, I will build my church. Now, how do you? His name was actually Simon Bar Jonah, right? Huh. So he's Simon the son of Jonah, and Christ is giving him a new name. He's saying, "You are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church." And so we, in English, lose the pun. Jesus was making a new name. Peter means rock. So, so we there was the not a name Peter. Before Jesus used it? No, this is, that was the first time it was used. Very cool. So I like in, in Spanish how uh, rock is piedra, which is just comes from the word Peter. Yeah, and then there's Pierre, which mm-hmm. means... There we go, there we go. So you see, like, in these languages where you get Pierre, and then also in Greek here, Petra. Oh, there means, we go. So, that's, so in English, we lose it because we have rock. Right. <laughs> You know? And we're petrified when we forget things. Exactly, petrified. So some evangelicals, some Protestants will say, well, if you look at the Greek, the Greek, will, the Greek says, you are Petros, and upon this Petra, I will build my church. So they're saying, well, see, in the Greek there, Christ is distinguishing between the Petros and Petra. So are it's not the same. Are you kidding me? It, that's what they legitimately will 
say. And that's, they think that's just a coincidence that those two words are so similar? Yes, apparently. Wow. Well, they're trying to say, like, well, one means Peter and the other one means an insignificant rock. Right. Well, no. Greek, like other languages, like other Latin languages, have a masculine form, right? Mm-hmm. So Petra is the is the feminine form of the word rock. Okay. Right? Well, Jesus is a man. Or Jesus was a bearded man. Right. He was a man. He had a beard. So they went to the masculine so they went to the mas- masculine version, Petros. Yeah. That's what they were doing. It wasn't to, to indicate or imply, like, a lesser significance. Yeah. But that's what a lot of, like, evangelical Protestants But why would teach. they want to? Because they want to diminish the, the role of the Pope? They want to diminish the role of the Pope. So oh, man. Christ isn't establishing... Peter as the rock, he's kind of insulting him in a way. Yeah. There's always been such an anti-Pope thread throughout American history. It's crazy. And so, first of all, understanding it's gendered, right? Petra being the rock, the feminine form. Well, Jesus is a man, so there's the Petros, the, the masculine version of the word rock. But you have to remember that Jesus spoke Aramaic. Right. So he didn't, he, he spoke Greek, of course, because Greek was kind of the lingua franca of that world, but he spoke Aramaic primarily. And so he would have said, you are Kepha, and upon this Kepha, I will build my church. Ah. So there is no distinguishing there. Okay. It's rock and rock. Right. Right. So that totally makes that whole evangelical so point moot. Lost in translation there. Yeah. It's a tra- translational point. And I think it's important to note that Christ renaming Simon as Peter, as the rock, is significant. Because in the Bible, anytime there's a a name change, it signifies a new mission or some sure. kind of leadership role. Now, I can only think of Paul and Saul. Saul, Paul, Abram to Abraham. Abram to Abraham. There's Jacob a... to Israel. Oh, I've forgotten about so that. So there's a lot of them in the Bible. All right, yeah. yeah. Huge changes in, yeah. Name shifts. change indicates a new mission. Interesting. I never thought about how, and I think it's cool in, in sort of all cultures how and even in wizardry, how when you know the name of somebody, you mm-hmm. sort of have power over them, and it, it's it's special. Yeah. And 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 so that sort of goes right along with with the power of somebody's name. Mm-hmm. It's God having power over this person, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I just, yeah, that's the that's second so lesson, cool. and I'll have another one. I want to do a few of these to kind of demystify and add some clarity to that. So. Right on. Remember me. Though I have to travel far, remember me Each time you hear a sad guitar Know that I'm with you the only way that I can be So, we are joined this week by Hazel Devils. Mm -hmm. Um, Why don't you go ahead and just take a minute and introduce yourself to our listeners. Okay. Um, so my name is Hazel Bavalos. I'm uh, the organizing director for a community organization called Cause. But a little about me, I've um, lived nearly all my life here in Santa Maria oh, wow. I, um, since I was six. <laughs> and my dad and his dad, um, yeah, I've been in the area for a long time. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I started in social activism work, uh, starting in high school, um, and have been working for Cause, formerly Pueblo, um, for about the last nine or ten years. 
Did you go to school in Santa Maria Bonita at all? Or I grew up in Orchid, so yeah, I went to um, Hey Grisham, which is no more. <laughs> is, that now the, um, is that the charter school? Yeah, okay. the Jordan yeah, charter school. Oh, wait. Yeah, so yeah. no more May Grisham, Orchid, Junior High, and Rigetti. Did you say when cost started? Yeah, uh, no, I didn't. Um, so, cause started in 2000, 2001, um, and in 2013 merged with a sister organization called Pueblo. And so, uh, Pueblo was kind of the Santa Barbara County uh, version. So, Pueblo and cause started around the same time in 2000, both working in, respectively, in the city of Santa Barbara and the city of Ventura to pass a living wage. Um, so both started as a coalition for a living wage that raised the minimum wage for city workers to uh, $15 at the time. Wow. Yeah. And that was, uh, you know, under the argument that, you know, workers need a wage that, you know, can so that they can work and afford to live where they work. Especially in Santa Barbara, yeah. What a strange concept. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right? Being paid a livable wage. Yeah. <laughs> So, the most backbreaking work, I mean, oftentimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so after uh, successfully doing that in both cities, uh, both organizations developed sort of as economic justice organizations, uh, branching out and working on different issues such as uh, housing, immigrant rights, public transportation, working with youth, um, some environmental justice work. And uh, both organizations were working separately in each county, and we merged in 2013 um, and are now called CAUSE. Um, and, um, the organization opened our office in Santa Maria in 2006. Um, and one of the first things we did here that, uh, 2006, if you'll remember, um, was there was, some um, extremely anti-immigrant legislation being proposed uh, in California. Yeah. Was it 180? Yeah. Right. And, uh, they called it the sleeping giant. There was, mm-hmm. you know, huge marches for immigrant rights all across the state, um, and Santa Maria with no exception. Uh, And it's often used to scare people into um, not being anti-immigrant nowadays because it's been a, it's sort of (laughs) been, uh, there's been a backlash. That's right. And it's gone totally against a lot of politicians. Pete Wilson, especially, right? Was he the guy that that spearheaded it? That's right. It was Pete Wilson. And I mean, just looking at how, I mean, essentially how progressive California is Mm -hmm. now and and some of the strides we're making now, a lot of that can be traced back to that moment. Can you, I can totally see that happening to Texas in the next couple of years, mm. or if not the next five, yeah. ten years, yeah. I mean. If, it was immig- if they have a really good demographic shift, I think. I've been. I think it's coming. Yeah, I mean, we keep on hearing that it's coming, and then we keep on getting our hopes dashed. So I, I'm not going to give our hopes up again anymore. <laughs> but. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I know some savvy folks from California that are starting to dabble in Texas and oh. try to share models and best practices because I think they're poised. I, I couldn't say when exactly, but um, yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. That's cool. Um, yeah. So, so are, do you guys have any one project that you're especially spearheading right now or pushing right now or several projects that you're pushing right now? Yeah, um, a, a few. And probably one of the, yeah, one of the biggest focuses that we have right now is actually trying to participate in the Santa Maria General Plan. Oh, um, yes, I read about that. Yeah, so it, it's sort of strange, but Santa Maria City hasn't updated their general plan for 30 years. Uh, 
most cities do that more often. Now, see, this is how bad I am. I didn't even know that Santa Maria had a general plan. I, I assumed it, but like, what are some of the things that general plan goes over? That's a great question. Housing, I assume. Yeah. Parks. When you think about a general plan, it's essentially the blueprint for a city. Like how, you know, your vision. How do you want to see that city grow? And yes, it can relate to housing. It can relate to traffic circulation. Um, it can relate to all, 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 a whole host Anything, of things. Yeah. yeah, parks, green space. Um, do you want, you know, buffer zones between fields where pesticides are sprayed in schools? Mm-hmm. Do you want a downtown? You know, some of the struggles yeah. that we're dealing with mm-hmm. now of like trying to zoning. create a downtown. Mm-hmm. Zoning. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. So uh, that's exciting. Yeah. Uh, long overdue. Wow. And so, um, and it's so exciting. I mean, it really is, you know, creating the vision for our city. And we've grown really quickly. Um, and yeah, a lot, in a lot of ways, we're kind of catching up. So uh, we have our committees working on that. Um, and we uh, are now planning a large forum uh, for the end of August in about a month uh, where we want to kind of have focus groups and get people into breakout groups and just talk about, you know, what do you want to see when it comes to housing? You know, what? what do you want Santa Maria to be known for? You know, some of the ideas span from, you know, we want to see more farm worker housing to we want barbecue back on Broadway, you know, <laughs> oh, yeah. or, or how, you know, how can we bring, you know, some of the traffic that's going to come, you know, f- with the new developments around Costco, you know, Ranch, you know, how can we get those folks to get off the freeway, but venture into the center right of Santa Maria and, and patronize our local businesses, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. Right so on. we're planning an event at the end of August where we want to bring everybody together, kind of whip out the map, look at our bus routes, look at our bike paths, do all that kind of planning. And our hope is to kind of create the people's plan um, that we can kind of offer to the city as a guide, you know, based on public participation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's, I think, that speaks to our mission of, of trying to get everyday people who are oftentimes disenfranchised, yeah. mm-hmm. um, whether it's economic status, whether it's because they're under 18, whether it's because they're undocumented or not citizens. Um, we really want to show show them that their voice matters um, and elevate that voice, uh, particularly in local government where so many decisions are made that impact their lives. Uh, And I should point out, listeners, if you hear a baby in the background, (laughs) Hazel does all of this plus has a baby. (laughs) And a full-time job. Yes. And another full-time job. So it's amazing how you can juggle all these things. (laughs) That that is new for me. Just a year under my belt. But um, yeah, I'm thankful we have a great team. And uh, in our Santa Maria office uh, is myself, but we also have two full-time organizers. Wow. Uh, they, uh, one of them works with a youth committee of high school students and an immigration committee. Another works with a committee of young adults and a coalition. So we also do a lot of coalition work trying to engage different organizations, whether it's organizations that work on um, organizing cyclists and for better bike paths to organizations that work on... Um, environmental issues or legal women voters or NAACP. We, we try to engage all kinds of different organizations. Wow. What a um, great organization. Yeah. Can I add, I'm super curious about as teachers, we've seen our own students um, re- reaction to Trump's mm. election and the emergence of ICE and all that. Like what's happening with that um, topic in Santa Maria? Is ICE as we hear about it across the country, but I haven't heard any local news with ICE becoming um, much more powerful and 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 active. Is is it becoming more active in our area, or not necessarily? I, I have no idea. I haven't read anything locally mm-hmm. about it. Mm-hmm. That's a great question. Yeah, I think we've we've seen. Um, 
ebbs and flows over the last, you know, few years. I mean, I, I think it's really particularly interesting for Santa Maria because if we go back to four years ago when a nice facility was approved to be constructed here in the city. Um, and their promise at the time was that we're, don't worry, you're yeah. overreacting. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. And, right. and they said they were only going to go after really hardened criminals. Mm-hmm. I think that was, it was in that the, the time of MS-13 too in, in town. And so that, that might have played a little bit into it. I don't know. I can't remember. If some of that came, I think after. Okay, okay. But yeah. you're you're right about that. Um, I remember, yeah, we you know we organized and, and mobilized over three thousand people to one of those protests, uh-huh. and it was quite a phenomenon. I mean, it was historic for Santa Maria to have a protest of that size. Wow. And so many yeah. families were saying. I remember. I still remember seeing a mom who was undocumented holding her baby at the you know the um, at the podium at the podium, and and just having the bravery to say I'm undocumented and I don't want to be separated from my child. Don't put this facility here in the city. How yeah. prescient she was. Yes. Wow. And she wasn't the only one. And there were plenty of people that told our city council and our planning commission, "Don't put this. Yeah. Regardless if it's a processing facility, administrative, you know, you're allowing, you're opening the floodgates. You're allowing this." Um, you know, this agency that quite frankly terrorizes our immigrant families into our city. And yes, um, the, the kind of response was, you know, organizations like ours was just fear mongering and that this would never happen. And you're exaggerating. Um, and I think it's, it's a, it, we're at a moment where it's a really sad, I told you so. Um, I think there's no, there's no satisfaction in it. Um, it's just saying, look, you know, our, our immigrant families were well aware of how ICE worked and how ugly our immigration system was back then. And I think what's happening now, um, in some ways there's drastic changes, in others um, it's a lot of the same, but now the mainstream public is seeing it and understanding it. I remember talking to my students who were so distressed the day after Trump got elected. Yeah, me too. And, and saying, hey, listen, I, because we're in California, I, I wouldn't worry so much. And I'm so embarrassed about that and just mm. mad at myself for being so naive. Mm. <laughs> because it really, our worst nightmares really have come to pass. It's incredible. But see, there are yeah. voices out there who will say that, you know, we are being snowflakes, I guess, mm-hmm. because after Trump was elected, we had those conversations with our families, with our students, where they were genuinely concerned about what would happen after Trump. Yeah. And we had those conversations where we tried to um, give them some hope and encouragement right. when when something really horrible had occurred. Oh. Right. I yeah. guess, gosh. I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I, I really, I'm really curious to hear more from you as teachers because I, I remember hearing a teacher tell me that even um, Latino students who were citizens were scared they were going to mm-hmm. get deported. Um, and it's just this extreme fear um, and, I mean, real trauma, I think, yeah. for, for young yeah. people. And yeah, in some it ways... It was incredible, the, the, the emotion in the classroom and the... It was just, and there were a lot of people missing that day, oh, just yeah. trying to mm-hmm. register everything that was going on, and, and I don't know, it, it was, it was, <laughs> it was surreal is the best word for it. Yeah. It's like a bad dream. It was a waking nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really. And so as a community organization and as a local organization, we try, we kind of find our place in this, like, okay, this stuff's happening, fed, happening federally, and like, 
how, what can we do about it? And Mm -hmm. so many people come to us and and feeling upset and angry and oftentimes hopeless, you know, feeling like, you know, what are we going to do? It's a national thing. Um, And so we're trying to channel that energy and figure out what we can do. And in some ways, I think, you know, what you said about California, there are at least some protections. I mean, we worked very hard calling legislators to vote in favor of um, Senate Bill 54, which is the sanctuary state bill, which essentially now, um, for the most part, prohibits collaboration between law enforcement and ICE. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people um, maybe didn't know this, but that was that prior. You know, that was a big way that ICE would, um, you know, end up deporting people and, and separating families was via. Uh, collaboration with law enforcement. And so that's what that sanctuary state law did. And so in California, we have some protections in that way. Um, you know, you may recall at one point after passing that law, Trump said himself like, okay, now we're going to rain, rain down hard on California for right. thinking they could stop us. And yet we get no help from the state of California. They are doing a lousy management job. It's a, frankly, it's a disgrace. And some of that has, uh, is we haven't seen it yet. I think they're still catching up on staffing. They're really trying to raise oh, up the number right? of ICE agents, and that takes time. But it, it sounds like they're going to try to go for more work and for workplace enforcement, work raids, um, and locally, we've already seen some. I guess you'd call them paper raids, where they do audits uh, and notify employers. And these were two large growers um, that had to lay off like 300 workers each. So for us, it has economic implications. Clearly, it's an agricultural economy. And do you do you get any support? Because I've got several farm owning friends, and they just come straight out and say, "Listen, we'd go out of business the next day if we couldn't hire you know people from Mexico, illegals from Mexico for the, the, the vast majority." I then ask them, "Well, what are you doing, you know, to to support them?" Um, <laughs> By voting for Trump. Well, yeah, often they are very, very conservative, but on this issue, they are, you know, obviously way more um, likely to be, you know, centrist or, or you know, even um, on the Democrat side. Yeah. Um, do you have any support from businesses who, who hire? Um, I, I yeah. keep on saying illegal immigrants. What, what's well, a better undocumented. word? Undocumented. undocumented. Thank you. Yeah, we we do find ourselves on the same side. Sometimes oh, that's good. Um, there's a saying in organizing, no co- no uh, permanent friends, no permanent enemies. Yeah, <laughs> so there we go. There we go. I, I can talk a bit about some of our farm worker advocacy that we're doing and we've done. And so we're not always on the same page, uh, but on immigration, certainly. And, and I think that was what was even more surprising when that ICE facility vote went through. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we know we have a I think at the time, an all-Republican city council, with the exception of one uh, Democrat. And so, you know, I think we, we were safe in assuming they might not listen to us. Um, but, but growers were really loud uh, against that ICE facility, too. I did not know that. Yeah. Did you know that? Uh-huh. No. The That's Strawberry Commission, all kinds of growers came out, and uh, Packer Ship, Packing Shipping Association um, all came out clearly against it and said, oh, yeah. this is going to hurt us. And it did. Yeah. A lot of yeah. families picked up and moved away from Saturday oh, yeah. after I have that friend who's, who's lost way more than half of his, work, his, his workforce yeah. since Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. So that's my, that's my next question, I guess, is so when you do have those alliances, is it because the growers respect the humanity and the dignity of the people or are they just looking at their own pocketbook <laughs> hmm. or is it both <laughs> yeah, i i would say both i don't yeah. want to generalize that's true you okay, know yeah. i think it, 
you know, self-interest is real. And, and I think that's a, it's something else we handle in organizing is always, you know, recognizing that's a real thing. Yeah. Um, but I also think, yeah, like growers knowing and seeing immigrants on a day-to-day basis must have a better understanding that these are not monsters the way that Trump yeah, wants to they really be. Do, you know, man. these Love are people who are working yeah. hard, who have families, have children. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, and I think it's a total opportunity for like, Nexus, you know? Yeah. I, I agree. Uh-huh. But that's the thing. It's when you make those connections, yeah. you have real-life interactions with people, it's harder to that's so demonize true. them. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's so true. That's right. I mean, as teachers, we are constantly like in contact with so many different types of people, yeah. and you, you become very tolerant. You're forced mm-hmm. to, I mean, in a good way. Mm-hmm. Because totally. you realize, yeah, these are these are real faces, and it's a good thing. I wish everybody had a chance to mm. to be so um, exposed. Yeah. So one one of the things that I also encounter too is, like, I have conservative friends, and their big thing is, well, we should be about law and order. Mm, and we, we talked talk about, about this yeah. too, where yeah, a, a nation should have the right to control its borders and stuff. How do you balance that then with respect for the human being and their right to immigrate? Mm, yeah, we we are always juggling those two issues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think to speak to our current immigration system, I think the average for an adult um, to, like, get their papers the legal way, because I think I often hear the, oh, get to the back of the line, you know, do it yeah. the right way, like my mom did, um, when things were different, you know, clearly mm-hmm. two decades right. ago, three decades ago. We've essentially yeah. been bottlenecked for the last 20, 30 years. They came Amnesty Ellis in the Island. late 80s. I've heard, yeah. what is it, 10 years? Is it I've heard 20? 20. I've heard yeah, 20. It's I've heard 20 at the yeah, very least. Nutty. And it's, I mean, sure. I mean, but imagine 20 years when your kids yeah. in this country and Forget you're, it. that's a lifetime, you yeah. know? And so I think being understanding of that. And then, mm-hmm. um, there's just so many myths out there mm-hmm. as well. So I think oh. that like aggravate the situation around like, you know, people saying immigrants don't pay taxes when they do. And in fact, don't get any of that back mm-hmm. <laughs> because when they get right. paid doing a job, they're getting paid just like anyone else. Their taxes are taken out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but without a social, you don't get to participate in the go- like get government assistance. Yeah. Or um, how about crime? That is oh, that's such, such a, a prevalent myth. That's, I mean, immigrants, are it's been shown in a lot of studies yes. less likely to commit crimes. Yeah, right? that is totally right. And it makes sense. It's like if you're here in a country and you have everything riding on the fact like if yeah. you, you know, if you commit a crime, you're gonna not only go to jail, but you're gonna get kicked out of the country and be separated from your family, you're probably gonna be less yeah. likely to commit a crime. Yeah. But then also they're victimized, I think, oftentimes, but then don't report it mm-hmm. for that same reason. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah, or not paid by their employer. Yeah. Right. The argument against law enforcement and ICE collaborating so often has to do with, well, if an immigrant yeah. sees the police as if they're ICE because they work so closely, then they're less likely to report a crime. Mm. And, and regardless if you're an immigrant or not, we're all less safe in yeah. a world where yeah. an immigrant's afraid to call the police. Yeah. Um, but I mean, going back to what you said, I'll say it. I mean, I guess we have to, you know, as social justice, you know, advocates, we have to, like, look into our history and say, well, at one point, segregation was legal. Yeah. Did that mean it was right? right. <laughs> you know? And so sometimes mm-hmm. it's our job to think critically and, you know, maybe something is law, but it's not always just. Yeah. And so yeah. where's our place to advocate for reform? And, um, yeah. That was a St. Uh, Thomas Aquinas quote, I believe. Mm-hmm. An unjust law is no law. 
Oh, right on. Um, and I think that's that's very true. As we have this conversation, you know, is it just to separate families at the border, or to separate a child from their parents and then deport the parents and keep the kid here in this country in a cage? Right. Yeah. At that point, it's more just to disobey. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you to, um, and, I, and this is where my own faith comes into play because. Um, you were friends on Facebook, so you, maybe yeah. you see the things I post. But you're you're a person, I believe, who also has is a person of faith. Well, how does that play into your social justice work? Mm, yeah, if at all. Yeah, yeah, it does. Um, yeah, it's sort of it's sort of interesting because a lot of it's pretty recent for me. Um, my my mom is from Mexico, and my dad is white American. And when they married, neither spoke the same language. Oh, <laughs> believe it or not, wow. love knows no language. Yeah. And they also didn't have their same religion, and so they just decided, eh, let's just raise a kid no religion. And so, um, yeah, me and my sister, we weren't we weren't baptized. We didn't really grow up with religion, and uh, once in a while. We go to the Catholic church. It was my mom was Catholic. And um, as I was getting ready to get married a couple of years ago, like so many people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you're, okay, you want to get married to the church, you got to do your sacraments. And, and so it was, it sounds it was something simple. Okay, you know, I went into a RCIA program, Catechism for Adults, uh, for a year before my wedding. But I really, it was it, it was more than just getting ready for my wedding for me. I think I wanted to make the most out of the experience and uh, really be intentional and thoughtful about it. Um, and it helped that, you know, Pope Francis is our Pope. And oh, yeah. so I think is is attracting so many people back to the church mm-hmm. when you can realize, like, you know, being grounded in faith can align with our social mm-hmm. justice work. And I think so often, even before I went through the program and I was able to go through my sacraments and everything, I still felt like like every day I was, you know, doing, I mean, I don't know, like I felt like I was living a spiritual life by working with those who are disenfranchised yeah. and helping totally. and supporting. And so that felt like my church. You right know. on. Um, so it's great about the work. Catholic. Yeah. You know, I grew up in a, in a Protestant tradition, mm-hmm. pretty conservative Protestant tradition, and social justice was literally, I kid you not, frowned upon. Yeah. It was like, oh, you're a social justice believer, warrior, whatever you want to call it, and how could that, like, you look at the Bible and Jesus, how could that not align? I, it, it, when that, like, hit me, it was it was a big reason why I got out of the church. Mm-hmm. Like, it was like, well, this is, we talk about the Pharisees and Sadducees all the time. Mm-hmm. That that whole movement away from the Pope, we, we talk about that mm-hmm. a lot, because he supposedly is too, I guess, social justice oriented, yeah. is mm-hmm. shocking. Mm-hmm. Well, because I think there's a strain of belief where it's like, well, you don't need to do good things. Yeah. Right? You just need to have belief. Well, that's the big difference, right, between Protestants and Catholics. Yeah. Catholics are more into works, where the whole Luther deal is works doesn't get you to heaven. And so they took the pendulum entirely the, the other way and said, don't worry about works at all, which is ridiculous. Yeah. So you doing all of your work with cause and for social justice, that is perfectly in line with Christian tradition, with your Catholic faith, really? Not always. <laughs> Not always. I know there probably But, some. yeah, I think, um, and it was actually really, really nice because as we were doing more advocacy around farm worker issues, mm-hmm. um, I got to work with some folks that work out of the Catholic Worker House in Guadalupe, oh, the cool. Beatus House, mm-hmm. um, and they are totally grounded in, like, oh, yeah. you know, you, you know, using their Catholic, Catholic faith as a, as, as a base for meeting the needs of, you know, poor folks in our community. Um, 
but in a way, we're often shared a, um, I guess, a disappointment with me as well around, like, when we do immigrant rights work, we've often tried to engage our larger Catholic churches locally, um, and um, they're really not that interested in engaging. Um, there's... Uh, locally, there's an Episcopal church that's look, looking at becoming a sanctuary for immigrants um, oh, in Santa Barbara. There's a very active faith community that's looking at those things. And we haven't been able to move our local Catholic churches on it. Hmm. And so, um, yeah, I, I think sometimes it's a conservative it's, area. Yeah. I think it's a conservative, conservative area. Yeah. Sometimes it's big and it's bureaucratic and there's mm-hmm. challenges there. Mm-hmm. So it's like... It's like anything. I yep. think, um, you know, really, um, yeah, finding, just... kind of finding your tribe. And I think I've, yeah. I've found mm-hmm. people that, like, you know, it's, it, we're able to really, I don't know. It, I don't know. But, yeah, it's like being, being having faith and also being critical and figuring out what's right for you. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah. I mean, because they're not just parishioners. They're constituents in a way. I mean, yeah. You have yeah. to, like, please them. And so sometimes yeah. it's like, oh, man, we can't go there even though we should. Because we'll lose people, or yeah. well, because I've had that conversation with the pastor at my church. I'm at, at St. Louis de Montfort, and I've had that conversation with Father John, and it's it's like, well, you know, like you're right, and they try to do things where they bring in, they brought in, they brought in lawyers, and they've done that kind of work with people to help them get their paperwork or what have you. But then there's only so far they can go because it's such a conservative area. Yeah, it's like they can't separate out their politics from their faith. Yeah. Instead of seeing it from like, oh, well, you know, of course Christ would have helped these people yeah. on the margins, the people who are disenfranchised. Yeah. Yeah. So you hear so often, I see this on the internet a lot too. Well, all these, all the rights in our constitution or all the rights, all the principles of the declaration, those just apply to Americans. Mm. Ah, I can't stand it. And that drives me crazy. No, these are human rights. Yeah. Regardless. Right. Remember we were talking about Dave Matthews um, the other day. He's a South African, an American, and an Englishman. Mm. And that's that was his huge push in, in one of the, his recent interviews. It's like, I can't stand when I come to the United States. Everyone, or not everybody, so many people in the United States are all for Americans only and, and not yeah. for humans. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. I got to ask you about one real yeah, quick topic. No, There's a push to get more... Um, more playing fields in Santa Maria. Ah, yeah. um, more, and I'm huge into sports. And and this is a crazy idea. I've never even brought this up to you, I don't think. I feel like we have all these depressions in Santa Maria. This is a real specific possible solution. Oh, yeah. Okay? And I wish we could just take all these, their catch basements, and they're all over yeah. town, and turn them into... into um, so this is a plea to the readers to at least consider this um, a solution and, and possibly make it work, because those things are never full of water and right. we could totally make them playing field but they're oftentimes fenced off and oftentimes people just look at them like oh my gosh we should be playing there right now so yeah. I mean one of them I mean locally it's called El Pozo the Manami uh, uh, yeah. where there's tons of soccer games oh, all the yeah, time love it, yeah. seldomly when it rains you can't but, yeah once in a while but it's, but it's, it's ah, of that so this park is a total catchment basement but there's several over in the oh, new yeah, Costco area that, and oh, yeah. there's a huge one and real deep one in way in the in the um, south west, I mean the northwest part of town that is completely unused and it just bugs the heck out of me yeah so and, and speaking of fenced off I mean I, I have heard conversations about, I remember the, the fences around the schools. Oh, that's um, another able one. To use the oh. fields, and I know yeah. where that came from, yeah. and that's that, a, that's a challenge. Yeah, like, we used to have such a great relationship with the Parks and Recs, the, the, the school district, yeah. and then 
teachers complain because there's trash in the field and stuff like that. So all we needed was a little talking between the two sides. We totally could have ironed, ironed it out, but I don't think that that happened. But see, I don't even yeah, think to I, me the fencing is, to me, it, does, it oh. creates more of a barrier with our parents yeah. than it does with necessarily. Ah, if I remember correctly, I thought the Sandy Hook shooting had to be. It, it was. Like that's that, right? what I just yeah. realized. And I think it's yeah. such a classic example of. Sometimes we overreact, yeah. and and yeah. I think it's like, yeah, I we get it. Like we're scared and feeling unsafe and sh- shaken by this event, but mm-hmm. let's stop and take yeah. time, get public input, and mm-hmm. think about yeah. what could the consequences be mm-hmm. by putting up yeah. these fences. I felt like that was so, really kind of shoved down our throats. I don't know that there was a whole lot of talk about that. No, I don't know. Yeah, and, and now it's like we spent all this money to put the fences. Like even just that conversation of taking them down would be like, oh yeah, we wasted That's, all this. But I've mm. heard like parents used to be able to pop in and say hi to teachers yep. and now yep. they're stuck on the other side of the fence yep. and, and then now we're we're talking you know it, particularly in like <coughs> response to the youth violence and stuff like that about like let's have more options for kids and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and here's some fields that are perfectly good to use but they're not able to yep. So, um, I've had to bring that up because I'm yeah. so passionate about sports and getting our kids out there. I and they agree. love and it. And I'm so. a soccer player. I've played Good. my yeah, whole life. Right. I still play soccer on Sundays in a women's league, which right on. only started like, sorry. <laughs> no, no. no. Uh, four or five years ago, and I love it. But And we face the same thing. Sometimes we practice on tennis courts in Napomo. Like, oh, yeah. It's so frustrating. And um, I just feel like. If we just build a huge soccer complex here, yep. it would put Santa Maria on the map in yeah. a lot of ways. We used to go to, like, Lancaster and Bakersfield for tournaments. Mm-hmm. It'd be really hot or really cold. And, just, I mean, Santa Maria's perfect weather. People are dying like to come to the Central Valley Could you imagine here. just coming? Yeah. yeah, come to Santa Maria, do your soccer tournament. Moms, go yeah. do some wine tasting on the weekend mm-hmm. after the kids play. What Beautiful weather. What a business weather. model that is. All oh, the tourism, gosh. the hotels. Yeah. Like, I just think somewhere we really it could benefit local youth so much and the city's economy. Yep, yeah. yep, we've totally dropped totally. Well, before we end here, just any last words you want to share with our listeners about maybe the immigration issue or what you're working for a cause like or, you're doing. or ask for help or, or anything? Yeah, how can we help you out? Yeah. Sure, sure. Well, I, I definitely... Um, I think we spoke a bit to just kind of the times we're in, the climate we're in nationally, and so many people feeling hopeless. And I think my kind of mantra ever since the Trump election has been not all policy happens in the White House. And there's so much we can do locally. Participating in local government. I mean, November elections coming up. Oh yeah. City council, school board is so often divi- decided by just a few votes, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and so engaging in that way, but also, um, yeah, on immigrant rights, there's so much we can do locally. I mean, the local sheriffs have a lot of impact on how um, immigration enforcement happens locally. Yeah, I think you must know as teachers, like school boards influence so much of what happens. When is that? Was a September event? Um, oh, it's real quick? going to be August. Or August, thank 30th you. 30th okay. at the Vets Hall. Okay. Uh, and once I get more info, I can send it to Jose. Please do. Um, yeah. yeah, anyone's invited. Uh, and yeah, we really just want to bring Santa Marians from across the board to just get in they want to see so that's, that's the name yeah. of the game just we'll be school get involved is that a Saturday uh, uh, do you remember I think it's a Thursday evening oh right on right after, right after yeah, yeah. And that's right our, after our meeting we were always <laughs> trying to do our things after in the evening uh, when people are off work to make it accessible because so yeah. often city meetings aren't um, yeah. yep. you know that's we're going to provide Spanish and mixtecal translation um, yeah. all that because that's the name of the game you yep. know we got to get more people in, involved yep. more heads are better than one and you know yeah that's that's the 
work. Well, thank you so much for coming out. This has been so yeah. enlightening yeah. and fun. Thanks for having me. I feel like <laughs> we're, we're actually moving towards solutions, too. It's I cool. know. That's good. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We're doing something. Yeah. Instead of just talking. Thank you, Hazel. Thank yeah. you. Appreciate it. Absolutely. Enjoy the rest of your day. You too. You make me un poco loco, un poquititito loco, the way you keep me guessing. I'm nodding and I'm guessing. Now count it as a blessing that I'm only un poco loco. So now's the uh, moment in our podcast when we talk about things we've been reading, um, listening to, watching. What do you got? What you've been reading, listening, watching on TV? I. I'm constantly um, scrolling through Netflix like people do, trying to find something to watch. And invariably, I go back to the office. But I do find something interesting every now and then. And there's a four-part series on Netflix called Bobby Kennedy for President. Hmm. Each episode is about an hour. Bobby Kennedy is my hero. For me, like, above and beyond anyone else. Hmm. So I was really into um, President Kennedy, studying President Kennedy's life. I, I'm kind of... Um, You're a total scholar. I mean, you, you wouldn't say it, but I would, because well, I, I don't think there's a question I could ask you about it that you haven't been able to answer for me. I, I've asked a lot. I've done so much research on Kennedy and the assassination, and hmm. um, I've done a lot of talks. But you don't, you don't think, you don't, you don't buy into I, mean, I don't buy the, the conspiracies, conspiracies right. at all. I've done a lot of talks on yeah. that. Yeah. But um, doing research, and actually for college, my we call it like my thesis for my degree was on the Cuban Missile Crisis and right. Kennedy's handling of it. But in my research of Kennedy, I came across Bobby Kennedy, and the more I learned about Bobby, the more I was like, this guy is where it's at. Actually, I mean, he was a full-on social justice warrior, wasn't he? Totally. More than any other uh, presidential candidate. And more maybe. than any other. More than his brother. Yeah. I mean, John F. Kennedy is great for so many reasons. I, yeah. He's another one of my heroes, but far and above, Bobby Kennedy. And the series talks about his life a little bit, but it, the moment really where Bobby Kennedy transforms is that moment where John F. Kennedy is assassinated. Mm. And that moment turns Bobby Kennedy's life around. And there's that, that, that moment where Bobby goes from being in the supportive role, because his brother John was kind of like the figurehead of the family. Sure. And now the mantle fell to Bobby. When I think of President Kennedy, I think of what Shakespeare said in Romeo and Juliet, that when he shall die, take him and cut him out in little stars, and he shall make the face of heaven so fine that all the world will be in love with night and pay no worship to the garish sun. Mm-hmm. And it took him a long time to get over that. Mm. So, but it was it was his faith that got him through the tragedy of his brother's death, and then pushed him through to like social justice and running for senate, and then running for president. Did did and this isn't my main question, but did he sort of have this realization like, well, man, life is short. Just yeah, do what you want. Maybe do not, what's right. Maybe not do what you want, but right, not life is short. Do what's right, and you have to make it meaningful. Right. Yeah. And do what's right. Cool. Right. And that was, yeah, that was a big moment. All right. Sort of along the lines, I don't even know what Sirhan Sirhan, what his beef was. Do you, can you oh, yeah. shed some light on that? Because I have no clue. So um, June 5th, I believe, 1968, Robert Kennedy had just won the California Democratic primary. Right. And was celebrating at the Ambassador Hotel. And then he was exiting. And as he was exiting through the kitchen, Sirhan Sirhan shot him. Isn't that because he's Muslim? 
Sir Hans. He is. He was a Palestinian, and was, that was a living in the United dumb States. Joke, by the way, oh. <laughs> I'm trying to be facetious, but <laughs> I, I believe he was Muslim. Yes, so, I believe so. Yeah, not that it matters, but I think he was Muslim. Yeah, but no, he. So Bobby had made some. I don't know, offhanded comment about the Palestinians that wasn't positive. I guess I don't even recall what he said. He made some comment, and Sir Hans. Sir Hans was upset about the comment, but then kind of like Lee Harvey Oswald, he had, like, mental issues and kind of had delusions of grandeur. Okay. And saw this as an opportunity to kind of, like, make a name for himself and then also kind of make a splash for his cause. So that's it. It's so banal. Very. Gosh. It's, it's, that's what, Ugh. in the course of history, like with John F. Kennedy and Robert Kennedy, it's these people who are, like, below average. Yeah. Who are looking for greatness. Oh. By taking out the, by snuffing out the light of someone else who is great. Yeah. Oh, man. It just, I don't know why it makes it that much worse that he was such a loser, but I wish that he had some kind of cause. My yeah. goodness. But then people will say things like, well, Sirhan, Sirhan didn't do it. You know, there was someone else and da, da, da. No. Just like Lee Harvey Oswald, he did it alone. Did he and die in prison? Or he's still alive, I believe. He's still alive. He's still alive wow. in prison. And there's this um, author of a book. I forget what the book's called, but I read it years ago. And the quote that stood up to me the most was this. The author of the book, in the um, epilogue, I guess, went and actually interviewed Sir Hen Sir Hen. Hmm. And before he left, I guess Sir Hen Sir Hen kind of had this arrogant attitude. Before he left, the author asked, why did you shoot Bobby Kennedy in the back of the head? Like, that's a cowardly thing to do. Why would you do that? And Sir Hen Sir Hen looked him dead in the eyes and said, because a son of a bitch turned around. Ah. So it, ah, the it's fact like, that he's alive, though, I'm sure is the reason why there's not more conspiracy theories revolving around that dead true. versus John. True. Because, you know, that Lee Harvey Oswald couldn't answer those questions yeah. is a big cause. Of the and then Jack Ruby got arrested, and then yeah. he ended up dying shortly yeah. after, I yeah. think he had stomach cancer or something. Yeah. So, so, conspiracies interesting. abound. Well, Bobby uh, Kennedy for president, four-part series on Netflix. I mean, Check truly shifted history. I mean, between totally. the both of them. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. I have some very sad news for all of you, and that is that Martin Luther King was shot and was killed tonight in Memphis, I would only say that I can also feel in my own heart the same kind of feeling. I had a member of my family killed, but we have to make an effort in the United States to get beyond or go beyond these rather difficult times. My favorite poet was Aeschylus. He once wrote, even in our sleep, pain which cannot forget falls drop by drop upon the heart until in our own day despair against our will comes wisdom through the awful grace of God. What about you, Joel? We just saw uh, Mission Impossible last night. My <gasps> wife, myself, and my uh, youngest son, and we all loved it. It is so shallow. <laughs> it is. There's not a bit of anything to learn from it. Yeah. But it is so fun. Mission Impossible 6, I think. Five. I don't even know, yeah. I think What's it's it called? Fallout. Yeah. Fallout. Yeah. So good. The, the thing I like, there's two things. I've not seen it yet. I want to see it. But two things. One, Henry Cavill plays Superman, right? And Jose and I had this conversation when we did the podcast a few weeks ago. When they did um, the Justice League movie, they had reshoots. And Superman looked horrible because Henry Cavill, who plays Superman, had a mustache beard thing going on for Mission Impossible. Right. And so when they did the movie, the reshoots for um, Justice League... 
they had to CG off the mustache. Oh no way! And it looked horrendous. You could tell. You could tell me. I've never had any problems with CGI, so I have to look at that. I'll, I'll have to show it to you. It's like even that Star Wars bit where they put in what's his name. I thought that was really well done. Look at the Justice League. Superman looks terrible. You can tell. They totally. I'll show you. Yeah. I'll, well, you I'll know what? Put in the show notes. I'm about to tell you something that's gonna. No, I won't say it. No, please do. All right. Well, it's gonna screw it up. But no, go for it. <laughs> well, just that the, the mustache is awful on him in this yeah. movie, and and but it's perfect for for the role. That's all I'll say, and I hope I didn't screw it up. You want to spoil it? Yeah. And but then the other thing I want to um, uh, alert people to is a great article that I read recently. Um, just went through my great pocket. I'm gonna put a plug in for Pocket if you don't have that app and you want to read um, articles and get articles really easy to download them, you get Pocket. And it is called Alt-Right Troll to Father Killer, The Unraveling of Lane Davis. It's one of these BuzzFeed news. Um, They have really good long-form articles BuzzFeed does once in a while. It's all about how this... um, troll on the um, far right getting into all kinds of, of this deep conspiracy, deep st- state nuttiness. Um, he ended up killing his dad. He went too far and all of his friends said oh no, it would never happen. Oh no, these guys are just joking around. Oh no, this or that. And this is a case where it just proves that this nuttiness does lead to death and, and does lead to murder and does... Push people who are already prone to having problems over the edge. But anyway, Lane Davis's Civil War, it's called, uh, by Joseph Bernstein uh-huh. um, at BuzzFeed. Great so article. What, so what, who is Lane Davis? I'm He's a nutcase uh, living in San Juan Islands, I think it was, in the Washington state area. Um, uh, had his own websites and, and um, like Reddit sites and stuff like that, pushing all kinds of conspiracy theories and, um, and was pushed, no, decided, I guess, uh, um, on his own that his dad was, I guess, a pen. A, mm. You know how the ped uh, theme is big on all these alt-right sites? Yeah. It was because of that, what's that, Pizzagate? Yes, the pizza and, and he bought into that and wow. killed his dad. He thought for whatever reason his dad was a pedophile. What's the okay? So what's the deal with these people? It's like they believe all these conspiracy theories, like we were saying earlier with the Kennedy assassination. Well, this guy he had no life. He was living with his parents, like some of these fools do, uh-huh. and um, he felt like a loser. And he lost jobs. He got involved with uh, law enforcement a few times, and um, man. It's just, it was fascinating how he slowly evolved and deteriorated to the point where he could actually shoot his dad. A great man, his dad. A good guy. It, it seems like people who go down that rabbit hole, like this InfoWars, Alex Jones. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Serious crap. They lose all reason. Yeah, that's what happens. And it, it's like they enter into this fantasy world. I, I don't know. Yeah, it's... I guess it's pretty easy. It's not easy, but it's possible for humans to believe just really far-fetched things. And that's what happens. Oh, it's so crazy. It's happening all across our country, to a lesser extent, but this is the extreme of it. Totally. All right. Thank you. That's all for this week. We appreciate that you joined us on our humble little podcast. You could do us a huge favor by subscribing to our show wherever you listen to podcasts, such as Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, or iTunes. And be sure to rate our show and leave a review. Your rating will help others find the show. And be sure to find us on Facebook, 
and Instagram at Conversation on Tap. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Cheers, Joel. Cheers, Jose. Woo!